Time for the rural news with Sally Murphy. Kia ora, Sally. New rules for farm-to-forest conversions are now in place. They are, and the Overseas Investment Office has just released its first round of decisions, with two of the three applications being declined. After concerns were raised about the amount of productive land being sold to overseas investors under the special forestry test, last year the government changed the Act, so now any farm sale needs to be considered under the Benefit to New Zealand test. Monique Steele reports. The Overseas Investment Office says since the new rules came into force, 18 applications have been made. One consent has been granted for UK company Enterprise Investments Limited to buy a 237 hectare grazing farm in Bay of Plenty. The farm that's steeper country, predominantly land classes 6 and 7 with no dwellings, will be planted into radiata pine. Two other applications have been declined. One was from a Swiss company which wanted to buy a 600 hectare farm in Otago and the other was by a US company which wanted to buy an 800 hectare sheep and beef farm also in Otago. In both cases, consent was declined as ministers were ultimately not satisfied that the likely benefit was proportionate to the sensitivity of the land. Vegetables New Zealand says the new grocery code of conduct is is a step in the right direction to making deals between growers and supermarkets more transparent. Countdown and Foodstuffs have signed up to the government's new supplier code released this morning to ensure fair conditions for suppliers with penalties for any breaches. The code is a result of the Commerce Commission's grocery market study. Vegetables New Zealand Chair John Murphy says all other grocery retailers should also be subject to the new rules. We particularly like the fact that the new code requires payment on time and those plain English supply contracts. It's really important. It seems seems like it'd be a given. There's a massive number of transactions and a massive number of um, people along that supply chain. So it's really important that we're, we're really clear as day on those things. The vast majority of transactions are straightforward and are pretty tidy. There's always going to be a few outliers where things go wrong on a deal. And I think that's where we need a bit of, bit of rigour and a bit of transparency as well. So it's when things aren't going so well that having a backstop might be healthy. And John Murphy says growers will continue working closely with the Commission to explain the dynamics of commercial vegetable growing. To other news, one of the country's oldest family-run wineries can now boast that its vineyard manager is a New Zealand Young Viticulturalist of the Year. Ty Nelson of Slogan's Estate Winery in Kumu has taken out the national title after a gruelling competition in Hawke's Bay this week, which saw regional finalists tested on things like pruning, irrigation, biosecurity and wine knowledge. 25-year-old Ty Nelson of Auckland says the competition was nerve-wracking, but he's stoked to walk away with the win. He says he finds viticulture very re- rewarding as there's always something new to learn. You could be one day answering emails and, and you know directing a team and the other day you're out fixing a tractor and then another day completely you've got to fix a post and wires and yeah there's a lot of skill involved if you're considering it and if you if you know that some parts of it you'll enjoy then give it a go because there's a there's a place for everyone in the wine world. That's Ty Nelson. Nick Putt from Craigie Range in Hawke's Bay came second and Nina Downer from Fenton Road Vineyard came in third. 
Tomorrow marks three years since the fatal sinking of stock export ship Gulf Livestock One. The ship, with 43 crew and nearly 6,000 cattle on board, sailed from Napier in August 2020, bound for China. But it went missing in a typhoon south of Japan and is believed to have capsized after engine failure. Two New Zealanders were among the 41 who perished, Scott Harris and Lockie Ballaby. Last year, Panama authorities released a report into the sinking to the victims' families. However, it has not been publicly released. Right, it's time to get the latest from the sale yards around the country. I caught up with AgriHQ's Suze Bremner earlier today. Well, spring has sprung and it certainly feels like it at some of the sale yards around the country. We've seen store cattle numbers notably climbing and the quality annual draft lines are starting to come out. So Castle Rock and Southland held a fair last Friday, which was well supported by buyers from Otago and Southland. And Bitter also opened up a few more opportunities for the first time at that fair. So just over 80% of the yarding were yearlings and they the sales sold to expectations. Steers ranged from $3.70 per kilo up to just under $4.00 while the heifers mostly sold from $3.30 to $3.50 a kilo. And what are you seeing in the North Island? Well, Stalford Lodge had a much larger yarding too, and it was the first real test of the two-year-old Frisian bull market, as they had 160 offered due to a farm sale. So numbers of these are very scarce, and so needless to say, there was plenty of interest in the market, not only from the buyers, but also those of us that actually wanted to see how they'd sell. So the results were very competitive as two pens at 546 kilos made $3.33 to $3.34 a kilo, while 400 to 450 kg lines crept up to $3.35 to $3.44. And fielding has just over 1,000 cattle today, which are mostly two-year steers and a big bunch of yearlings. And it's much quieter on the lamb front. Well, it is, though that's to be expected for this time of year. The new season lambs won't start hitting the sale yards until October, and so it's just about tidying up what's left of the old season lambs. Colgate did offer up an annual draft consignment of Romney Texel ewes with lambs at foot, though, and they sold at the top end of the current nationwide range, which is uh, which they made $85 to $86 all counted. The whitebait season kicks off today with fishers fizzing for fritters hitting the best spots early this morning. This year sees the last of the Department of Conservation's new rules around sustainable whitebaiting, like restricted sizes of fishing nets, come into force. But Canterbury fisherman Peter Langlands, who runs the 10,000-strong Whitebaiting NZ Facebook page, says the rules don't go far enough to protect whitebait habitats and populations. He wants to see a licensing system to generate revenue that will enhance whitebait habitats. Overall, there is a decline in the populations of whitebait, and a lot of that is, is habitat-driven. So we really do need to have that resilience with increasing extra habitat to, to offset declines that have taken place. Just give some resilience, because we've um, we've lost quite a lot of coastal wetlands in the last few years with, with climate change, really, and, and a, lot, a lot of impacts on the freshwater environment. So I think we've all just got to um, play a role in, in helping preserve the fishery for future generations and really it's been a lot of taking but not a lot of giving so um, yeah it's time to give something back. Peter Langland says catch limits would also better protect whitebait populations. The season runs through to the end of October. But Niwa freshwater ecologist Mike Hickford says while adult whitebait populations are declining, tracing numbers is difficult and fishing doesn't really harm populations as they only have a 12-month life cycle. 
And just lastly, a new vegetable growing venture near the Horafenua town of Ōtaki is seeking crowdfunding for its pay-what-you-can veggie boxes. Jonathan Mines and Tai Tay Luke Hurley are trialling planting techniques and prepping soil for a spring start for their registered charity. Mr Mine says at the start a quarter of their customers will be allowed to pay as much or as little as they can afford for, week, for a weekly supply of vegetables. There's a really large like income gap across Ōtaki uh, and so we're, we're asking people um, you know, if you're able, maybe you could pay a bit more and support one of your neighbours or one of the other people who's who's involved in getting veggies from this farm um, as, a, as a means of spreading mutual aid. Um, if it works well, then our, our dream is for that to be our entirety of our, our outlet is, is local veggie boxes on a pay-what-you-can model. So it sounds a, like a noble idea. Is it going to work financially? We'll find out. <laughs> We'd like to think it can, but as I said, we're not putting all of our eggs in that basket. We will be doing some conventional wholesale and have a couple of other outlets as well. Jonathan Mine says the pay-as-you-can model is happening in America and Europe. And you can hear more about the story on Country Life this evening and Saturday morning after the news at 7. And that's the rural news for this week. Kia pai tērā.